Hey, everybody, you are listening to episode 27 of the Finish Line podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity and personal finance. We had the chance to sit down with Chuck Andrews, a financial advisor from Alabama with a deep heart for generosity. Stay tuned to hear all he had to share. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Keelan Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Cody. On today's show, we're joined by Chuck Andrews, a financial advisor from Alabama. Chuck comes from a long lineage of generosity-minded Christians, and it's clear that that mindset has permeated every aspect of his life. Like many of our guests, he also lives with a financial finish line, and we had all sorts of questions for him on the topic. Aside from finish lines, you'll get to hear Chuck's thoughts on things like how he divides up his giving— how he chooses nonprofits to partner with, and how he incorporates his kids into the process. Stay tuned until the end because Chuck had one of the most fascinating and strategic manager minutes we've heard on the podcast so far, and you will not want to miss it. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you guys that everything we do here on the Finish Line team is 100% free and always will be. If you're getting a lot out of the podcast and want to help us get the message to others, the best thing you can do for us right now is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. And with that, let's get started. Here we are with Chuck Andrews. Chuck, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, welcome. I've been looking forward to it. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So why don't you just get us started off telling us a little bit about your background, who you are, where you come from, and how you got to where you are today. So born and raised in Memphis, I am the oldest of eight kids and son of a surgeon. And so grew up in an environment that was very chaotic, six boys, two girls, and decided to go to Sanford for college. And so it was about three hours away now. It was about five and a half before they finished the interstate, but came to Sanford and I was the only, I'm the only one of eight kids that is not in Memphis. So the Lord just had a kind of a different story for me and started, I got the current job that I've been in for 23 years, I found the Lord just connected me with a businessman in town and he connected me with a guy who hired me. And he said, Chuck, you test off the charts, but you don't know anybody here. You should go back to Memphis and do this in Memphis. And I just said, well, Lex, his name was Lex. I said, Lex, the Lord's got me in Birmingham. I really can't explain it, but the Lord's got me here in Birmingham. He said, well, I'd love to have you. So 23 years later, I'm still with the same company. I work for Northwestern Mutual. I've got a business partner and we've got 15 people on our team and we do comprehensive planning and married to Lydia and we were acquaintances in college, but got to know each other well after college. And we have five children, four girls and one boy. He's right in the middle. I tell him that every group of hens needs a good rooster. So <laughs> he doesn't like that too much, but the grew up in a Christian home. This is kind of a quick, cool story. I asked my grandmother, she's 96 in October. And I asked her, she has her 82nd great grandkid on the way. So my wow. family is very large. 
And everybody asks if we're Catholic. I tell them we're passionate Protestants. So <laughs> but anyway, I asked her, she was in, she came to visit us about a month ago. And I asked her, I said, I know that our biblical heritage is very deep and very long. How far back do you know that it goes? And she said, well, if you add six greats to me, that gentleman was led to the Lord by John Wesley, said that your seven great grandfather was led to the Lord by John Wesley. But I say that just to say that our faith goes back centuries, you know, and so I've been very, very blessed that I come from a very long line of godly men that have been faithful to their wives. I am not aware of one divorce in the last six generations in my entire family. And that is a massive blessing. And so from a faith standpoint, just grew up in a very healthy home. And so that's kind of my work and family and faith history, if you will. So Chuck, I know you have a particular passion for generosity. And I also know that that doesn't tend to just come out of nowhere. I'm interested for how God kind of introduced you to that along the way and how he's been working in your heart through everything else you got going on. I'll try to connect two or three stories kind of along the way. I got my first job when I was 12 and cutting neighborhood yards like most, you know, American 12-year-old boys want to earn a little cash. And so you cut the neighbor's grass. One turned into two, two turned into five, five turned into 15. And 30 years later, my 33 years later, my brother is still running that business. Wow. So kind of cool. But my father taught me, you give of your first fruits and you start with 10%. And so when I was 12, you know, when you cut some of the neighbor's yard for 20 bucks and you have no expenses because your dad's filling the mower up for you (laughs) and he fixes it when it breaks, $18 is profit, right? You give two to the church. Two to the church is no big deal when you can put 18 in your pocket. And my dad always told me, if you can give $2, then 20 is not hard. 200 is not hard. 200,000 is not hard. But if you don't start with the small, you know, and I actually, actually, that's another thing. I'll probably refer to this chapter a couple of times, you know, to whom much is given, much is required and to whom entrusted much, they will demand the more. I read that this morning in Luke 12. And when you start out giving as a young boy, I've never deviated from that. I just haven't. And it's been a pattern. Fast forward to my college years. I heard a message from Evie Hill back in the 80s. I heard it actually on a tape, which tells you how old this thing was. But this was 20, probably 23, 24 years ago. And he was talking on giving and he said, God's not blessing you to bless you. He's blessing you so you can bless somebody else. And his whole message was, don't be a reservoir, be a conduit. And I really, I really, it really resonated with me. And then the parable of the talents. If God's going to give you five talents, you better go make five more, you know. And then I would say lastly is just realizing that it's not mine. It's all his. And, you know, I've done the spiritual gift tests and hospitality and giving come back every time. And I'll add one more piece to that component. David Platt's radical series. I don't know if y'all have heard of that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have. It's phenomenal. It's almost a fist. You're going to get punched by Mike Tyson when you listen to it, you know. (laughs) But he was a local pastor here for a long time. And so his his stuff was just very prominent locally. 
but I, I went through that radical series with with a buddy. We went through that together. Just really challenged. He really challenged everyone to get in their prayer closet and say, "Okay, God, what do you want to do with what you're entrusting to me?" And that was really a challenge. That was 13 years ago. It was a really a challenge to say, "Okay, I, I'm in a career." I mean, Cody, you know, we're in careers that. There's really no ceiling. The harder you work, I mean, you can just continue to stack it up if you want to. But just really coming to a place where, okay, God, how do you want to use the resources that you're entrusting to me? So those are several milestones along the way that kind of formed and shaped that generosity thought pattern that I currently have. Well, Chuck, along that line, I would love to hear, since you had such an early introduction to giving and that was instilled in you and you never deviated from that pattern of you start at 10%. I love that. How does that influence the way that you give financial advice? Great question. You know, I get that question a lot, obviously, primarily from believers, you know, and I refer back to the passage, I think it's in Matthew, where they ask him, you know, do we give to Caesar? Do we give to you know, the church and, and Jesus says, Hey, you render under Caesar what is Caesar's and to the Lord what is the Lord's. And I've always thought through that. I, this is, I'm, I'm no theologian, but I've always thought his first response is give to Caesar, right? And so you think how we get paid, our first dollar goes to the IRS. It comes out before we get paid, you know, and that you render under him what is his. So we pay taxes first. And then he says to the Lord, what is the Lord's? And so I think it's important that if it's not a priority, in terms of when you write the check compared to when you write all your other checks or, or where in the month you get paid versus when you give, if it's not a priority, then that I would start there. The second thing I would say is clients ask me all the time, how much, how much do you give? And I always answer this. I'm not going to tell you how much, because if you're asking me how much you haven't asked God, how much, you know, either it's a matter of the heart. I mean, the lady just read it a couple mornings ago, the lady who breaks the alabaster jar you know, the guy's like, man, that was two days wages. And he's like, she's given more than any of y'all have given, you know, and it's all she had. It's really a matter. And I really encourage clients. It's a matter of the heart, you know, to really get before the Lord and say, Hey, what are you going to, you know, how are you going to use me? My wife was raised in a home where her father was a pastor, just retired two years ago, 35, almost 40 year pastor of a very small church in South Louisiana. And there was zero extra, zero. And the number of stories that they have on how God provided for them is just mind boggling. It's absolutely mind boggling. I'm talking about my mother-in-law would get up from the table to go get something at the counter and come back and there's an envelope under her plate full of cash. She never left the room. I mean, like she set the table, like how did that envelope get there? And I could go on for hours on stories like that for them, but just trust in the Lord. I mean, whether you've, whether you make minimum wage or whether you make a lots of money, I really encourage clients to get before the Lord and figure out what to give. And then we have conversations on where and how that's obviously a whole nother conversation, but I don't know if that answers your question, Cody, but that's typically my conversations have what we talk about. Yeah. I love something that you were saying there. And I was actually just thinking about the same idea about being dependent on God. And I'm reading through Mark right now, and I was just seeing story after story, parable after parable, that we're all kind of bringing out the same concept of when we are 
dependent on God, we are in a good position in our hearts. That's a good stance for our hearts to be in. And when we are not dependent on God, that's where stuff starts to get dangerous for us. And I think it's challenging in our culture and in our day. It's very easy to be independent of God. And so any way that we can make ourselves dependent on God and allowing ourselves to have to trust Him, I think that is good for our hearts and is protective over our faith. Well, and we don't, let's be honest, we live arguably in the greatest time in history. Mm -hmm. We no doubt live in the greatest country in history, right? We don't need God. America doesn't need God. We have health insurance. We have car insurance. We have unlimited resources. We have grocery stores absolutely packed with mountains of food, right? We have police. We have armies. We have, you know, government. We have health care that's the best it's ever been, right? Changing at leaps and bounds. I mean, Keelan, you know this. We're in a place in America where we don't need God. And so that dependency that you're talking about, I think is crucial. I think is absolutely crucial that we have to maintain a heart of humility and a heart that says, hey, God, I got, I mean, we argue, we got everything we need or want and, mo- and then some. And so Satan wants to get in and you know, distract our thinking on that. But I think that dependency is a big deal. I completely agree with you on that. Chuck, you said earlier that your dad taught you from a young age that you start with 10%. And I'd love to hear, where do you go from there? You know, in my readings earlier this year in the Old Testament, there's all these offerings, right? It, like I said, I'm no theologian. I read scripture really more macro, really. My wife reads it more micro. I like to say she gets a lot more out of it than I do. But, you know, there's tithes and there's offerings, you know, and scripture talks about both. You know, tithe means 10%. I'm not legalistic about that. But it's just a place to start. I mean, you got to start somewhere. So pick a number, you know, pick five, try to get to 10, try to get to 20. I've heard of guys that give 90 and live on 10, you know, and and then there's offerings. I think that's above and beyond. That's for me personally, that's supporting missionaries, supporting other organizations, do loss, never thirst, international justice mission. We support a child. I don't know if I'm supposed to say his name or not, but anyway, we support a child with compassion. You know, just to me, that's all offerings and the tithes go to the local church. And that's just, I think that's a biblical concept. If you look back in the tithes and offerings in the Old Testament, it was like almost 40%. I've heard that from multiple sources. Now, people say, well, they didn't have taxes then. Okay. Then if your tax and tithe is 40%, then that's half your income almost, you know? So I really think there's a tithe element. I also think there's an offering element. And me personally, I think that nearly a hundred percent of my giving goes to something that's gospel centered, you know, had an eternal focus that has, you know, a mindset of we want to change the hearts of people because that's, what's going to last. And so I want to support those efforts, nothing against the local, you know, colon run or the golf a thon for breast cancer or any, nothing against those things. But just personally, I want my giving to be geared towards eternal efforts. So I think there's a, to answer your question, Cody, I think there's a tithe and an offering element. Then you go from there. Yeah. And in our industry, we hear a lot about lifestyle creep and how that can kind of really inflate how much you're spending on just stuff and just what it costs to live, you know? And Mm -hmm. I've found that unless you are aware of it, 
and you make a plan, it will happen to you. Guaranteed. I'm curious how you have put in place some kind of guardrail or structure in your own finances to not only protect against lifestyle creep, but to ensure that you can keep giving and supporting the things that are important to you. You know, very take a deep breath because that's been a journey I've been on for probably eight or 10 years, honestly. I've been challenged multiple times by multiple godly men to really be aware of that, be conscious of that. I have five children. The oldest is a senior in high school. The youngest is nine. They're in a private Christian school here locally. You know, four of them are daughters. I mean, so you can imagine weddings, cars, braces, college, Christian school. The volume of that is can get very weighty. And so back in November, December timeframe, seven or eight months ago, I really set out to say, okay, Lord, if you've given me the gift of generosity, the gift of giving, what does that look like for me? I've really wanted to personalize this. So I probably spent four, probably four months really praying through it, reading the scriptures. And I came up with, this is just me, but I came up with, God tells us to have tithes, offerings, widows, orphans, and the poor. I mean, those are the five things that he repeats over and over and over and over and over again. Widows, orphans, poor, widows, orphans, poor, widows, orphans. And generally, and I've actually highlighted in my Bible they're typically all three mentioned at the same time. It's very interesting how they're, you don't couple a triplet, but <laughs> they're tripled together, right? And so when I have structured my giving this year, I've said, okay, those offerings are going to organizations that support widows, orphans, and the poor. And through that whole process, so I merged my practice in January 1, and I knew when we did that, there was going to be extra income. I mean, just the structure, the cost savings by merging two businesses, the opportunities to increase on different payouts and different scales and the whole thing. I knew there was going to be an income increase this year. And so I was like, okay, this is a great time to do this. And I just said, okay, Lord, here's, I didn't use the ramen noodle number. I really didn't. It's not bread and water around here, right? I mean, we had T-bone steaks last night. I mean, so (laughs) it's not how can we you know, shop at Walmart and have two shirts in our closet. That's just not me. But I picked a line and I said, okay, if it's anything above this line, I'm giving it away. All of it. A hundred percent of anything above that line. And it's very interesting. I get paid quarterly. I get paid four times a year. And so August will be my third paycheck of the year. (laughs) Okay. And it is, it's unbelievable the increase that's happened in the last eight months. It's just, (laughs) it's almost like God's a comedian. You know, he's like, okay, Chuck, you want to play that game? (laughs) You know, and I got buddies that are buying boats. I got buddies that are buying deer clubs. I got buddies that are buying beach houses. Why don't you buy one? And I could, I mean, if you look at the math and look at the numbers, we could go do that, but I'm choosing to just anything above that line giveaway. And I think that line will move, right? I think the line will move some when I have, in three years, I'll have three kids in college. Right now, I have zero. You know, so I think that line will vary some. But I also, it has been interesting to see how the Lord literally in three paychecks, it's gone, it's tens of thousands of dollars like that. And then it's like, okay. And I haven't, I haven't regretted that decision. That's been what's probably the fun part for me. So that's how I kind of came up with 
kind of where I landed on that. We need like a highlights reel of people telling the same version of the story of I set a finish line or I made this commitment and I just, you know, decided this is what I'm going to do. And then God just exactly like you said, just blows things up. And I feel like we have to have the same disclaimer every week. You know, it's it's <laughs> not the prosperity gospel that, you know, when, when we give, God blesses us. But it is funny that, I mean, when we commit to really focusing our efforts to grow God's kingdom and not our own kingdom, then he really does seem to bless those efforts. And he really does tend to fuel that fire. And so it's cool to hear that exact same process in your life. Over and I mean, over. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Have y'all heard of the American gospel? I think that's the title of the documentary. It's done by Benny Hinn's son. Have y'all seen this? I haven't. No. I think it's called the American gospel. I'll get this to you, but it talks about that prosperity gospel. Well, Benny Hinn's son has come to know the Lord and has renounced and denounced everything that his dad has done and says, Hey, we had multiple airplanes. You know, we had shoes that were worth more than some people's houses. I mean, he goes on just the opulence, just the disgusting amounts of money. And he just said, it's not right. It's not godly. It's not biblical. And he talks about that. It's a very good documentary. I think it's called the American gospel and how it is. We've distorted It's the prosperity gospel and how, backwards it is you know anyway it's a good documentary on what you're talking about Caleb. yeah that's interesting we'll have to track that down and put a link to that in the show notes mm -hmm. so i'm interested since you've gone through this process and especially over the last year what have you noticed in kind of your your frame shift in your line of thinking or what kind of things have surprised you or maybe not surprised you in what you've learned through the process i'll give you one example that happened Two weeks ago on July 4th. So the worship pastor at our church, his daughter and my daughter are good buddies. And we invited her class, her church grade over for July 4th. And about, I don't know, nine families or something came over. We had burgers and shot fireworks. So I was talking to our youth pastor and I asked him, I said, hey, what are you, you know, what are you working on kind of deal? And he's got a list of like seven items that he wants to do to our sanctuary, our, our worship center that would enhance the worship experience. Some of it's lighting. Some of it is, you know, getting the soundboard on the floor versus in the balcony, you know, restructuring that. Some of it is he wants to get a couple extra speakers and he wants to update the soundboard. Our soundboard is like 40 years old, I think. Just things that the normal are not in the normal church budget, right? I mean, he's not going to get, he's not going to go to the church administrator and say, hey, give me 50 grand. I want to change all this. And so he's like, basically got this list of seven things. He's committed to prayer. He's like, hey, Lord, how are you going to provide these things? So I said, hey, send me the list. You know, send me the list. Well, the first three, the first three total about $10,000. And I called him and I said, hey, I got you. I'm going to do that. August 15th, I'll put 10 grand, you know, and you go tell the church administrator that's for you. <laughs> and so it's interesting to you're more aware, Keelan, is what I would say. When that happens, there's an awareness that happens that, that you're just, you pay more attention. You're looking for opportunities. You're not an ostrich with your head in the sand. You've got your head up and you're like, hey, God, how can you use this? 
You know, how can you use 50 bucks here, 500 bucks there, 5,000 bucks there, 50,000 bucks? I mean, whatever the number is, 500,000. You know, I know guys that give hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars away a year, but you're looking for opportunities. And then, then it, it's a momentum thing. You know, it's like, okay, Lord, that was awesome. Use me again. I want to be used again. So I would say it's an awareness is probably the word I would use that happens. So Chuck, as you've progressed in your career and, you know, not only made a living for yourself, but built a practice and now that is increasing and things are really going nicely for you, as the amount that you're freed up to give increases, does that change anything about how you plan or anything about your strategy for giving? I would say two things. It obviously... I want to pick a handful of organizations and I want to go deep with them. I want to pick five, six, seven, eight, not a ton. And I'd like to go really deep. So the missionaries that we support, I would like to support them at higher levels. The organizations that we support, I would like to support them at, as I like to say, let's add a comma, you know, to those numbers. The second thing it's done, and this kind of combines giving in my career, is to really be strategic how I give. Right. The IRS, I mean, the government gives us a lot of very favorable tax treatment on how you give. I mean, so if you give, that gets written off. But if you structure how you give by giving IRAs, you know, the RMDs required minimum distribution. So if you're 72 years or older, you have to take out of your retirement plan. If you give that straight to the church or straight to a 501c3, straight to a nonprofit, there's no taxes on that. I have a lot of clients that don't even need the money, but the government's making them take it out. And I'm saying, hey, just give it straight to the church. That's one idea. Appreciated stock. You know, you can. So instead of writing a check to the church, you can give the stock to the church, buy the stock right back. And now your basis is what the value of the stock is. And you've completely shifted the tax burden off of yourself. And it doesn't go on the church because they're a 501c3. So it's caused me to really think how I give and what I give, you know, is what's happened as well. So there's not only an awareness of when and who, but now how and what. (laughs) So it's really kind of morphed into this all encompassing sounds like it's everything I think about, but it's really (laughs) become come full circle, I guess is a better way to put it in. It's not just write checks. It's not just write checks. It's there's strategic ways to do this where you get more benefit to the charity, the church, the ministry, the organization, and less taxes on yourself. And it's totally above board. So I would say that, Cody, it's it's caused me to dig in a little deeper on how and what I give. I don't mean amount, I mean like what asset do I give? Do you have any experience with donor advised funds or do you work with your clients in with donor advised funds in any way? Yes, I have one myself and I recommend it to clients for sure. It's a very strategic tool, especially when you're giving appreciated stock. If you're in a situation where you sell a business and you have a very high taxable year, if you're in sales and you have a banner year and your income goes from you know, a dollar to a dollar forty, let's say you have a forty percent increase in your income. Using a donor advised fund is very strategic because you can put as much money as you want in there and shift those taxes off that calendar year, that tax year. And then you can give indefinitely into the future. You don't have to give it away that year. So donor advised funds are very strategic for 
those types of gifts. The money's invested while it's sitting there. You don't have to give it away in that calendar year. And what I've noticed, Cody, this goes back to your previous question. You actually give more. <laughs> you know, you, you'll find yourself giving more just because you have a, a strategy and a method of giving. You actually will actually give more. And then the nice part about it, the reporting at the end of the tax year, it all comes on one page. <laughs> you don't get 40 documents from 40 different places you get one. And so if you if you'll channel your giving through the donor advised fund and then out to the to the 501c3s, it makes your tax filing, your accountant will appreciate it, I promise. <laughs> so, yeah, I would echo that about the reporting. We had a client just do that exact thing for that reason. They had 15 or so different organizations that they had been giving to throughout the year and now it's just one one tax receipt to track and I can only imagine that makes life so much easier come tax time. Oh, for sure. A very strategic tool. I mean, Keelan, to answer your question, I don't think it applies to everybody, honestly. But once it gets set up, and I use the National Christian Foundation. is the one that I use. There's multiple ones. There's a group out of uh, Nashville that a buddy of mine was telling me about just the other day. But there's a lot of organizations, donor advised funds that you can use. And once you get it set up, it's really, really, it's it's point and click on the website and you're, you're done. So, yeah, we definitely use those and recommend them. On that point, are there times where a donor advised fund doesn't make sense? I mean, we've talked about donor advised funds a couple of times on the podcast, but we don't always get into the specifics. I'm interested if, you know, for somebody listening and with you as a financial planner, are there people that you would not necessarily recommend a donor advised fund for? Yeah, I would say... Two things come to mind. One, if you're taking the standard deduction and you're not itemizing on your taxes, I don't think it would really help. I mean, so the tax reporting piece that Cody and I were just referring to, that's irrelevant, right? The second thing I would say is, and this is where I've been in the past, I just started using my donor advice fund probably four months ago. I literally just started using it because I wanted to get the money to the organization as quick as possible. I didn't want to have to have a pass through. You know, I wanted it to land at the right place as quick as possible. And I didn't have any carryover. And what I mean by that is I didn't give. So a donor advised fund is designed to you put a chunk of money in there and then you give over time. I would say don't let money sit in the donor advised fund. There are organizations all over this globe that need the money yesterday. You know, there's adoption agencies and water well companies and <laughs> thousands of mission organizations and your money is sitting in. Somebody was telling me, I think, let's see, I don't want to botch this number, but there's millions of dollars in the National Christian Foundation in Birmingham, Alabama, millions. And I'm like, I'm like, guys, get that money out there, get it in the organization's hands, you know, let the Lord use that money. You're just sitting it there. Now it's sitting there earning interest or it's invested. So you can invest those dollars. So it's not just on the sidelines. So I would say that if, you know, the donor advised fund is designed for large gifts and to strategically give over time. But if you want it to get in the organization's hands right away, you don't have any desire to sit money in a on the sidelines, then, then it, that, I don't think it would be a great use in that situation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So do you get to see and hear from clients about how generosity has shaped the way that they view something like financial planning or retirement planning? 
Yes, and that conversation usually comes under what I call legacy, right? Is, you know, most people that we work with, let me say it this way, most people that we work with are going to leave something, even if it's just equity in a home, right? They may not leave IRAs and mutual funds and beach houses and farms and land and buildings and businesses. They, you know, a lot of people don't have that, but most people, their parents live somewhere. So they might have just equity in a home. So there's typically something that's left to the next generation. And one of the pieces, Cody, that I'm actually working on right now is built around that whole legacy discussion. You know, what do you want to do with the money you leave behind? Even if it's 200 bucks, it's got to go somewhere. You know, is that going to children, grandchildren, kids education? Do you want to start a, you know, a scholarship at your local college? You know, my goal in that is to lead into discussions where I can introduce Dulas. I can introduce Never Thirst. I can introduce, you know, IJM and some of these organizations that I support or just challenge the clients to give to what they think is important. You know, so it usually falls under that legacy discussion. And Cody, I would say that usually falls under clients that are already retired. You know, when they're in the accumulation phase, it's really hard to think, what am I going to leave behind when I'm 92 and I'm 41 right now? You know, half their life's not even over. And so that's typically someone in their 60s, 70s, maybe even 80s that we're having those discussions with. I wanted to come back to something you said earlier about honing in your giving to a couple organizations that you go really deep with. And I love that concept. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. One of the questions I have is, at least for you in your life, how did you go about narrowing in on those specific organizations? Or how did you know when you had found one? I know you've shared a couple of things, like a focus on the gospel and on widows, orphans, and the poor, and a couple of those kind of frameworks. But how did you come to the organizations that you are passionate about now and, and kind of narrow down on which ones you were going to put, you know, the weight of what you have behind. Mm-hmm. I'd say two things on that too. The ones that I do personally are led by men that I know personally that I do life with that are David Johnson, for example, that runs Dulas. I know he was on a couple months with you ago with you guys. I've known David for 25 years. Forrest Walden is a, Dear friend of mine, we're in a very intense accountability group together. He started Never Thirst with two other guys, you know, and that came out of that radical series that I that I mentioned about David Platt earlier. That was born out of that whole challenge, if you will. So I would say it's driven by men that I know personally, and I know their character, I know their heart. And secondly, it's driven by things that my wife is passionate about. You know, one of the things that I realized this happened. I can tell you when it was April of last year. So 15 months ago, I realized that all of our giving, I gave it. I had never given my wife an opportunity. So we've been blessed. My wife stays at home with our kids. And I realized that my wife is in our 19 years of marriage. It was 18 at the time. She's never quote, quote unquote, given. We've given, but I did it. And giving is an act of worship. And it's part of, I think it should be part of a worship service. It's part of that whole worship service. And so a year and a half ago, I was like, I realized, so I asked her, I said, hey, what do you want to give to? You know, and that's when the whole international justice mission and and the trafficking of women and the ministries that are geared to helping women come out of those lifestyles. So part of that has come out of a passion that my wife has 
you know, and really understanding her heart. And I literally will write the check, put the amount on there and sign it and leave the two blank. And she has to fill it out, mail it, send it in. And a couple of times I'm like, honey, I wrote that check six weeks ago. <laughs> like it hadn't cleared what's going on. You know, <laughs> she's like, I just hadn't taken it to the post office yet or whatever. You know, I forgot to put it in the mailbox or it fell down behind my chair or something. <laughs> so some of that. And one other thing that I'll say, so our church is a very giving church. So I'm surrounded by a lot of other givers in my local church body. And at one point, our church was supporting over a hundred missionaries. And one of them stayed at our home during our missions conference. And they shared with us that they love our missions conference. They love our church. They love the church body. But the amount of money that we give them on an annual basis didn't even cover the flight to come to our church for the missions conference. And I was embarrassed by that. I just was absolutely embarrassed by that. So I went back to our church administrator and I said, hey, when these missionaries retire or roll off or whatever, don't go find some more. Like we need to have the missionaries that we have and we need to go deeper with them and really support them. Not just give them a hundred bucks. That doesn't even cover their their two plane tickets to come to our annual missions conference. And so I really realized that to have impact, you got to go deep. Not that 50 bucks doesn't help somebody a month or a hundred bucks or 20 bucks. It all adds up. And, you know, the widow's might mentality, right? But I think for me to really pick a handful and just to really go deep, you know, that's where we can see impact. So I know it's a little bit of a long answer to your question, but that's how I got there. So Chuck, as you were talking there, I was reminded of something I heard recently. I was listening to Ron Blue, the founder of Kingdom Advisors, talk about, he shared a story. It's not my story. But he shared a story of a man who gave all his giving was done online and his tie to the church was done online. And he realized one day when the offering plate was coming down the aisle that his children had never seen him give. He's doing it. He's giving faithfully to the church, to other causes, but his children weren't involved in it. And it made me think of what you were talking about. There's legacy in terms of what are you going to leave to your kids, but you also opened up with a legacy of, of family, of faithful family members that you can point all the way back to this conversion story generations ago. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about how you plan to leave a legacy and how you are actively teaching your kids about generosity. That's a great question. I love that question. Proverbs says, blessed is the man who leaves an inheritance to his children and his children as children. And I received one thing from my grandfather right here, a wedding ring. One, it's 200 bucks, right? You can buy a wedding ring for a couple hundred bucks. But what I got from that, from my granddad, my mom's dad was infinite in like what I call legacy and it's life lessons, it's principles, it's, you know, how to change a tire, how to buy a used car. I mean, but it also, it went into, you know, those spiritual blessings too. I think it's highly important that our kids, that we're transparent with our kids. I do not think my children need to know how much I give. I I do not think that. I think very few people need to know how much you give. I think that's for a very tight group of maybe an accountability group or a Bible study group. or I think that information should be in a very tight circle. But I think our kids should know that we do give. 
And about four weeks ago, five weeks ago, I brought my nine-year-old in here in my office. And I said, go get me 10 dimes. And she went and got 10 dimes, came back in here. Because I had paid her $10 to do something around the house. And I said, okay, we're going to learn about tithing. We're going to learn about saving. And we're going to learn about spending. You know, because my kids are like, I want to buy a hoverboard. I want to buy AirPods. I want to buy these shoes versus those shoes. We don't give our kids an allowance, but we give them money to do chores, to cut grass or to, you know, do random stuff, wash windows or bathe a dog or just whatever. And they earn money for keeping the neighbor's dogs. And so I literally was teaching my nine-year-old what 10% meant, you know, so we're having a little math lesson at the same time. But, you know, and then I said, and the formula we have is 10% give, 30% spend, and 60% save. Now, obviously, you can't maintain 60% savings your whole life. (laughs) That would be a very awesome goal. You retire at 26, you know, (laughs) but if you start at nine, but I already have, I mean, my 17-year-old already has a Roth IRA. My son... 13-year-old already has his first mutual fund. I mean, so I'm teaching them not only giving strategies, but teaching them saving and spending strategies too. And so I'm teaching them the principles at a young age, like my father taught me, just simple as getting 10 dimes out of your you know, change drawer and spreading it out on the table for your nine-year-old. You know, I literally had that conversation probably four weeks ago with her. But you know, that's interesting. I think that same concept can be taken the other way is, oh, look at me. I drop a check in here every time it goes by. You know, I think that the flip side of that, by the way, our church does text giving. And I found this out that you can text give on your credit card and it doesn't cost the church any and doesn't cost me any. And I get points Hmm. on my credit card. And so my point is going back to that earlier question, Cody, there are ways, ways to give. There's ways to be even a better steward, right, of all the options that are out there. It doesn't cost the church anything. It doesn't cost me anything. And American Express is going to give me Delta miles for it. Why not? <laughs> Why not? So I would take Cody going back. I really I want to teach my children those concepts by real life example. So when I pay them $10, I ask them how much goes in tithe, how much goes in the spend, and how much goes in the save. And they've got three jars in their room and they you know, put the dollars in there. So, yeah, that's cool. I think starting at a young age is, is so key. If they just, that's how it's always been, you know, as all the way down from the $2 off the 20 that you talked about with the mowing the lawns, you know, (laughs) and God says, when you're faithful with a little, then you can be faithful with a lot. And to do that, you have to have a little to start somewhere. So I think that's perfect. Well, you know, as a financial planner, you spend your whole days, giving people advice. And you probably are limited a little bit in how much you're able to really share with some of your clients about what you really think about money just because of the professional context. But since we have no restrictions here, I'd be interested to hear from you as a financial advisor, what's the number one thing that you wish you could tell your clients about money and their relationship to money that you can't always share in a kind of professional context? Yeah, I think it's one of the things that I pray on a weekly basis for myself and is boldness in appointments, boldness with the gospel in appointments. And I think it's tricky in that professional setting 
to have spiritual conversations at some level. Now, I know guys that they don't have a conversation with a waitress or a hostess for that matter. They don't say something about Jesus every, I'm talking about every time. So my grandfather, this man right there (laughs) was one of them. He shared the gospel with everybody. He was a surgeon and he shared the gospel with everybody. He taught Sunday school for 60 years, everybody. You know, I'm not that way. I wish I was more that way. So I'm looking when I when I have that prayer request, I'm looking for boldness and I'm looking for creativity. I'm looking for an end. I'm looking for a very smooth transition to, hey, let's talk about eternal things. You know, moth and rust are going to steal and destroy, but the word of God lasts forever. You know, things like that that are just natural segues into eternal conversations. And then that can lead to you know, strategic giving. I had a client two weeks ago. Her dad passed away 10 years ago. Mom passed away about a month ago. She's inheriting two and a half million dollars. Her net worth is going to triple. Wow. <laughs> She's 66 years old and her net worth is about to triple. And she loves the Lord. And I'm confident that she will do some very strategic things. But what an opportunity to really have a massive impact. I mean, they don't need the inheritance. They're living on 12 grand a month, just the two of them. They're fine. And they're about to get $2.3 million in a check. And this is coming from a life insurance death benefit. This is a check. This isn't attached to RMDs or tax codes or estates, nothing. Not a trust. It's a check. And so those are the kind of conversations that I'm looking for to take that legacy conversation from a minute ago and take that a step further. So, but I would say that would be the tricky part in the professional setting is knowing how and when to go deeper into that spiritual conversation. Mm-hmm. And I live in the buckle of the Bible belt. Birmingham, Alabama is, you know, they say that's the buckle. <laughs> so, you know, everybody here has heard of Jesus and knows of Jesus. And most people claim him, but not everybody knows him. It's a lot of head knowledge and not a lot of heart knowledge. There's, you know, I'm looking for fruit, right, as the scriptures say. But so that's probably the trickiest part is saying, well, what does that really mean? So, All right, Chuck, as we're getting towards the end of the episode here, I wanted to take a second for our manager minute. You know, every week we like to take a second to just give one practical way that people can be managing what we consider to be God's wealth. And when we have guests on the show, we like to give them a chance to give an idea of their own. So, Do you have one kind of takeaway that people can use for how to think about how they can be managing God's wealth? Yeah, I would give, and this is, some people call this a sales idea, but this is just an idea. I mean, we're in record setting economy, I mean, literally this week, right? I mean, we're at record highs all over the place. The economy is, we can't buy a car because the chips are all gone. I mean, used cars are at all time high construction materials. Everything is at record peaks right now which is quite ironic considering all the noise that happens day to day. My advice would be to strategically give appreciated assets to charity, churches, organizations, and the money that you were going to give backfill your appreciated stock, your appreciated, you know, real estate, you know, whatever, and to use donor advised funds. So really think about, are you strategically giving how you're giving and what you're giving and use appreciated assets to do that. And it's a, the amount of taxes that 
can be saved by doing some strategic things like that is substantial, especially in an environment where we think the tax codes are about to go north. So that would be my idea is to think about what you give and how you give it. And I don't mean what you give in amount. I mean, what specific asset. So don't do your giving brainlessly is how I would summarize. Yeah, that's actually a great suggestion that I hadn't thought of before. But basically, it sounds like what you're saying is if you're going <clears> to <throat> give $1,000 and you have some stocks that are available to move, then instead of writing a $1,000 check, give $1,000 of your appreciated stocks and then use your, your $1,000 of cash to repurchase those stocks. Is that so right? So quick example, if I buy a stock for 700 and it's grown to 1000 and I want to write a $1,000 check to the church, well, I have a $300 gain in that stock. So if I sell that stock, I'm going to pay taxes on $300. So instead of writing a $1,000 check to the church, I give the $1,000 stock to the church. I still get a $1,000 write-off. The $300 gain, I don't pay any taxes on, neither does the charity. And I take my 1000 and I buy that same stock back at $1,000. So now I have a $1,000 stock that's worth 1000 that has a $1,000 basis with no tax. So I have shifted that taxable burden off of me, and I still have $1,000 worth of equity or $1,000 position in that stock. It literally can be done the same day, so you can literally buy the same price. You know, I mean, that's just an easy example, but that's you're getting into you know level three, level four planning at that point. But yes, that's very strategic for sure. Well, that's a great suggestion, and thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Well, Chuck, thanks so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure hearing your story, hearing the long legacy of generosity in your family and how that has played out in your life. So thanks for being with us tonight. Hey, enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have any questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard on the show today, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Send us any questions you have, and we'll answer them on one of our future episodes. Even better, join the conversation on the Finish Line forums. There you can discuss your thoughts about recent episodes, read stories of generosity, and ask questions about setting a financial finish line. Check it out at finishlinepledge.com slash forum. Finally, if you want to find any references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 27. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time. 